we are next week. Actually, we are uh, six days away from Hanukkah. So uh, it's very important, uh, you know, to really to speak about Hanukkah <clears throat> because Hanukkah in itself is what's called a paradigm. It's a model for, uh, in many ways, how the Rabbanu does things, you see, and why things happen. So Hanukkah, in many ways, is a tremendous example of what many events that happened to the Jews, why they happened. Even though history looks at them, well, they happened because, you know, the way history moves. No. Well, we're going to begin to see something is very, very different. Uh, but in any case, before I begin, uh, I just want to say that this year should be a merit for the health and success of the families of Regina Basir Seif Ruvain and Yishai Ben Yisrael, Ben Yaman Wolf, Ben Svi Hersh, and Baruch Ben Yaman Wolf. Uh, so it's really. What was that? I, I, you have to, you have to say it louder. Farina Batsol. Rina Bas, Bas who? Sol. And Shlomo Bat. Ben Sara. Ben Sara. Shlomo Ben Sara. Okay, good. Uh, in any case, so the first thing we can think about is, like I say, what is the essence of Hanukkah? You know, and most people, when they think about the essence of a holiday, right, so they think about the storyline. And, of course, we know what the storyline is, you see. But we're going to see that throughout the history of the Jews, there are always spiritual necessities. Now, an event actually in many ways is brought about because it allows the Jews to do a tikkun through the event. In other words, the Jews are tested, <coughs> right? <coughs> the Jews are tested, and when they successfully pass the test, so that accomplishes a major tikkun, rectification, or spiritual necessity. But what happens if they fail? So what the Rebbe has to do is repeat an event, a historical event, another one, where they can sort of like make up. So they can, they can accomplish a spiritual necessity if they failed in the first historical event. And in many ways, that's what happens. Any event that happens to Jews is always because of some type of tikkun necessity or spiritual necessity that has to happen, you see. So in many ways, Hanukkah <clears throat> is such an historical event. So the question that we have to, of course, figure out is what is that? What is the spiritual necessity, you see, that happened uh, that Hanukkah in some way solves. But in this case, the event of Hanukkah was really secondary, you see, because it comes after a certain amount of time, right? 
the failure of doing that tikkun necessity the first time in some historical event. So what the Barsham did is he set up, and that's the real word, the setup, a secondary event that would repair the first historical event in which the Jews failed to rectify or to accomplish the spiritual necessity that, of course, was needed. Uh, so therefore, the essence of Hanukkah is what is the spiritual necessity? And how does the event solve it? How does it resolve or make up for the failure of the first event? And what was the first event? You see? That's really what you have to think about when you think about Hanukkah and Purim and many, many other uh, you know, types of, uh, of uh, holidays and so on. Okay, now we know the story of Hanukkah basically, you see. So let's see if we can, uh, in a certain sense, figure it out. Maybe from the story, you know, in any case. So what is it? Well, we know the story, right? Basically, um, Alexander the Great, you know, the great uh, Greek general uh, who was one of the greatest conquerors in the history of mankind. He died. He was only 33 years old. Very young, imagine that. And he had already conquered the entire known world all the way up to India. That's where he stopped, you see. So what happened? He died, and his empire was taken over by four generals. And one of the generals, his name was Antiochus Epiphanes, he took over the Middle East, basically, you see, which included, you know, Syria, it included uh, Egypt, it included uh, Judea, which, of course, is Israel, and so on. And he decided what he wanted to do is to uh, erect some type of statue, the base I made this, and he wanted everybody to bow to it, you see. And uh, there was an individual, his name was Matesio, the son of Yerchelin Koengol. And he uh, repelled that thought, and he gathered a small army, and they fought the Greeks, you see. They did not want to be, uh, you know, bullied into worshipping idols. So this is what happened, you see. And they fought them, and the name of the group was the Hashpinoim. And they uh, fought the Greeks. And the amazing thing is that they won, which itself was an incredible ness. You see, the ness of the war itself is unbelievableness. Uh, so the question is, you know, like I said, you know, what exactly is the spiritual necessity that was resolved by this. <clears throat> Why did God allow Alexander, the Greeks, to conquer the Middle East and therefore subject the Jews to this type of incredible challenge? That is the question, you see. <clears throat> now, the second great aspect of Hanukkah, like I said, the first one was 
where the Greeks were vanquished by the Jews. And you have to remember, the Greeks had an army, and they had just conquered the entire world, right? So they had what's called a battle-hardened troops. They had over 100,000 troops. And Israel, I think they estimate, they had maybe 10,000, you know, uh, army of 10,000 soldiers and so on. So could you imagine an army of 10,000 people fighting the Greek army that had conquered basically the entire world? It's incredible. Uh, So that's certainly one of the greatest miracles of Hanukkah. The second great miracle, of course, is that they conquered the Greeks and they took back the Beis Hamikdash, right? And one of the Avedois, one of the tasks is to light the menorah in the Beis Hamikdash. The problem was is that there was no uh, shemen, oil, that was pure enough and certainly, and they found vials, but they were all contaminated. They were all tumor. So it would take four days to get the, the right olives, four days to go to the Galil, that's where they grew, and four days to get back. So that would take eight days until they got a new supply of oil that was pure and uncontaminated. Meanwhile, they had found one vial. And that was one vial that basically would only burn for one day. That's it. So they figured, you know, we might as well. Obviously, after a day, it's going to go out. So, of course, the, the miracle of Hanukkah, or the second miracle, was where that vial lasted for eight days. I mean, you can imagine that, a vial that only has enough oil or fuel for one day lasted eight times the amount it should have lasted. That was an open miracle. Incredibleness, you know, of a tremendous, you know, scientific uh, proportion. So that was the secondness of Hanukkah, <clears throat> you see. So in a certain sense, whatever happens or transpires on that uh, event somehow has to fit with the spiritual necessity of why the entire thing happened. So that gives us a tremendous clue. Clearly it has to embrace the war itself and also the miracle of the Hanukkah lights that go for eight days. So we have to try to figure it out. Well, let's take a look. Let's go back now that we understand the basic story and the two basic nisim, you see. <clears throat> so the first idea, which I had said a long time ago, that it says, Vayer Vayivoka, in the beginning, precious, Vayer Vayivoka, Yemechod, one day. Now we know it should have said, Yemrishoin, the first day, you see, because the first day, because in the other days it says, Yemsheni, Yemshlishi, the second day, the third day, and that's called an ordinal number because it, it indicates order, first, second, third, and so on. <clears throat> but it doesn't say an ordinal number. It says, Yim Echod, one day. Not the first day, one day. <clears throat> Meanwhile, the second day, 
it says, not the day two, but it says the second day. So the question is, why does the Torah use the, uh, the uh, cardinal number, which is one day? So Rashi offers an explanation, right? And he says, because on that day, it was one day, because the only thing that really, the only living being, so to speak, that existed is God. <clears throat> so in a certain sense, you could say, Yem Echod, one day, which really means day of one. Yem Shal Echod, the day of one, right? And who's the one? God. Because there was no other <clears throat> living entity at all. The angels were created on the second day. So that's what Rashi says. But it's also possible to understand a second type of pshat, meaning. What is that? Uh, because on that day, there was God and his creation. And there was no distinction of what made the creation. In other words, you would immediately see that everything that was done, created, emanates from God. You would have seen the product and the process, and the source of that process, which of course is the Rabbanish Lulam, is God himself. Uh, so in that sense, since there was no concealment of that, therefore to Yom Echod, the day of one, because you could see how everything emanates from God, everything. There was no concealment, wasn't hidden, you see, of what the relationship was between the Bria, the creation, and God. So that's why it's called Yom Echod. <clears throat> you see. Now then it says, of course, uh, and there was, uh, you know, and the earth was unformed in void and so on. And then it says, Vayer Vayvoka, and there was uh, evening and morning, Yom Echod, one day. <clears throat> right? Or day of one, and so on. That's what it says. Now, <clears throat> on that day, God also created or the light. Now, what does that mean? <clears throat> that means this concept, <clears throat> this concept or this perception, how you see everything in the creation itself, right, all emanates from God. There's no concealment. You could actually look at the product. And you could see how it emanates from God himself. That perspective of being able to see <clears throat> the totality of creation, the creation itself, plus the source of that creation, which is God, that is called the Orishan, the first light, you see, <clears throat> or the Orpnimi, the inner light, the internal light, or the Orhagonas, the hidden light, all three. They all refer to the same thing. It's an unusual perspective, the ability to see everything. <clears throat> now, when does that happen? When, when does that light or that perspective happen, you see? So the answer to that, which I once spoke a long time ago, <clears throat> is at the end of Bracious, not the beginning, but the end. Excuse me, not Bracious, but the end of Dvorim, the end of the Torah. When Moshe Rabbeinu is blessing uh, the Jewish people, <clears throat> so he's blessing each tribe. So he blesses Yosef in the following way. He says, 
Hodoloi, the firstborn of his ox. Ox is a symbol of Joseph, the tribe of Yosef. Hodoloi, beauty is his. Now, is this ox, it's beautiful, you see. In what way is it beautiful? <clears throat> the horns of this ox are not the normal horns of an ox, which is short, but very powerful, stubby, because of the enormous shoulders of the ox, right? Instead, it's kani re'em. It's the horns of a re'em, which is an animal which doesn't exist today. But if you want to understand the way it looked, you know, sometimes you look at a, a, a deer, you know, or even some goats, and they have these magnificent horns that come out of the head, and the shape of it is beautiful, especially the symmetry, you see. <clears throat> so it's interesting that the horns of this ox isn't the horns of a normal ox, right? It was the horns of a re'em, Kani re'em, and the horns of the re'em, Kaunov, <clears throat> is the horns of this ox, which means the horns were magnificent. Now, what does the ox do with these horns, right? The Ubehem, and with these horns, Amim it will gore the nations. No, it's, it's weapons. And the, ox, the horns of the Re'em, which is the horns of the ox, it uses to gore the nations. You see? So it's weapons used against the nations of the world. Well, obviously, if that's the case, we're not talking here about a real ox. So it's really a metaphor, or maybe an allegory, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so here's the way you would read that. Bechor Shoiroi, the firstborn of his ox. Who's the firstborn of the tribe of Joseph? And the answer is, Mashiach ben Yosef. It's the Messiah himself of Joseph. So, Moshe Rabbeinu is talking about the Mashiach ben Yosef, right? And then it says, Hodoloi, beauty is his. So, the Mashiach ben Yosef has an awesome beauty. Wherein lies this beauty? And the answer is in the horns of the Mashiach ben Yosef. You see, so it says, Rakani Ra'im, and the horns of the Ra'im, Karnav, is the horns of this person who is the Mashiach ben Yosef. But we obviously know Mashiach ben Yosef doesn't have any horns, <clears throat> right? So what does it refer to? Well, if you think about it, what are horns? Horns are something which emanates from the head, right? What emanates from the head? Chokhmah, incredible wisdom. That's what emanates from a person's head. So the Pesach is saying that this, these weapons, the wisdom of the Mashiach ben Yosef, Hodoloi, is beautiful. In what way? Because everything is super organized. Not only that, but it's super transparent. Where you see everything. This really, and with these horns, in other words, with this Chochmah <clears throat> that the Mashiach ben Yosef has, with that Chochmah he will gore the nations. That's how he does it. Now, what is this Chochmah that is magnificent, right? And that will go to the nations, you see, convince them to drop their evil ways. And the answer to that is called the Or Rishon, right? That's the light or the perspective on creation 
that was on the first day of the creation, Yom Rishon or Yom Echod. You see, <coughs> so it comes out that that Or Rishon, the first light, or the Or Mashiach or the Or Hagonas, is going to be used at the end by the Mashiach Ben Yosef. He will have access to this light, which is this Chokhmah wisdom, where he can show you and demonstrate to you the totality of all creation, how it emanates from God, you see. So what you're watching is the ultimate cause, right? And he will demonstrate that. And that will be so incredible, that wisdom, right, will be so impressive that will actually be used as a weapon by him, right, to convince the nations of the world to drop all their evil. And we know what this Chochmah is. It's called the Or Mashiach. You see? So these two areas of the Torah actually describe the concept of the Orishim, the first light, or the Or Hagonas, the concealed light, or the Or Mashiach, the messianic light. And the, and the end of the Torah it actually tells us that this, these, this is the weapon of the Mashiach ben Yosef. You see? That's a very important idea. And what is the essential idea, really, of this Orishan? And what it is, is that the entire creation is nothing more than an emanation from God. You see, it doesn't exist independent of God. Even after it was created, where God created the universe or the entire creation, <clears throat> right? He maintains and sustains this creation, Right? by emanating this incredible flow of holiness. So the source of all of this is God. And that's the incredible wisdom that the Mashiach bin Yosef is going to display, you see, or disclose. Great. Now, <clears throat> let's move on to Matan Torah. When the Torah was given, what was the avoid of the Jews? What would have created a tremendous tikkun, you see? And the answer to that is that Jews should accept this idea of who God is. In other words, to accept, right, not only the written law, Torah not only the oral law, which is Torah but also the Orpnimi, which means the inner light, you see, that the Jews will accept this concept that the relationship between the creation and God is really that creation is a complete emanation from God. And God is the source of everything. Everything. Literally. Everything. <clears throat> and they, they should have accepted, you see. What happened? Something else different unfolded. They created, when Moshe Rabbeinu came down late, right, they created or they built, right, an eagle, a golden calf. Now that was very problematic because they should not have done that. Because the Opnimi shows you cannot represent God with any kind of image or any kind of object because God is not, cannot be represented by an object or an image. You see, everything is nothing more than an emanation from him. So by building the eagle and saying, this is your God, O Israel, they rejected 
the opnimi, or the orhagonis. They rejected that understanding that <clears throat> everything is nothing more than a product, an emanation of God himself. There is nothing else that can represent God, you see. And to this day, the Jews know that. You know, we don't pray to any idols. We have no images, which is not true, of course, of, course, of Catholicism. We pray to God. We feel we are emanations of, and he exists within us. In any case, they made the ego. So what they did is they failed to do the tikkun of the Kabbalah Satera, specifically the Kabbalah, the reception of the all pnimi, which means the internal understanding of creation. They failed, you see. Now that is very interesting. <clears throat> what happened afterwards? Well, one of the people responsible for the ego was Aaron Akoyen, Aaron, Moshe's brother. He helped them build uh, the ego, you see. So Aaron, of course, realized he did a tremendous sin by doing that. Even though he was compelled, because they would have killed him, because they already killed Khor, they would have killed Aaron. So obviously he was an onus, which means he was compelled, you know. There was nothing that he could do, and so on. But he realized it was a terrible deed that he did, you see. <clears throat> so, when, when Moshe Rabbeinu was commanded to build the, uh, the Mishkan, so everybody, all the Nesim, all the princes of the tribes, they all brought korbonas. They all brought, brought, I should say, they all brought uh, sacrifices, or I should say offerings. <clears throat> the one who did not bring any offering for his group is Aaron, the Kohanim. He was not in any way commanded to bring anything. So he assumed the reason why he wasn't is because God did not forgive him for building the golden calf. That was his assumption. And it says that Aaron had tremendous chalisha. Like, he, he, like he, he would faint. He could faint. You know, tremendous weakening and uh, tremendous uh, feeling of the sin that, that he had caused the, the Jews to do by giving them the object of a desert to worship or whatever and so on. <clears throat> so it says that he had tremendous chalisha, you see. So, this is what he felt, that God had not forgiven him for building the, chet, the, the, uh, the golden calf. <clears throat> in any case, in Baaloischo, the Pasha of Baaloischo, when God commands the Jews to have a menorah and to light it, so he commands Aaron to do it, you see. So... <clears throat> What that meant is that God was saying to Aaron, you know, basically I have forgiven you, and even though you're worried, you have this tremendous, you know, feeling of, of weakness because you think, you know, the sin that you did. But I want to tell you, Aaron, Akrain, and this uh, allowed Aaron to regain his composure, his strength. He told him that, you know, because you have such charata, such you know, remorse, regret, 
that you did that, <clears throat> that someday in the future, your light, the light that you're doing now, which is lighting the menorah, that will exist all the way till the Mashiach. Now, the question is, and the Ramban deals with this, says, wait a minute. In other words, what God was saying is the korbonus, the sacrifices or the offerings that was brought by the princes of the tribes, that will be ended by the Beis Amigdash because the Beis Amigdash will be destroyed, right? So therefore, <clears throat> that will end. But your lighting the menorah will go on far beyond, all the way to the time of Mashiach. That's what God told Aaron and therefore his spirit was revived. So the Ramban says, wait a minute, you know, <clears throat> the lighting of the menorah also ceased, right, when the Beis Hamidus was destroyed. Because the menorah was stolen, we know, by the Romans. They stole the menorah. So the whole ability of the Kohen Godel to light the menorah, right, ceased when the Beis Hamidus was destroyed. So how can God say, that your avoda, your work or task of lighting the menorah will continue till the end of days. How? It was also, not only with the sacrifices, the korbonus, the offerings ceased, but the same thing with lighting the menorah. So what did the Rambansha mean? So the Ramban says a remarkable thing. The Ramban says that what God told Aaron is that one of your descendants will cause Israel to light the menorah. You see? Which means what? To light the menorah. And you should know the menorah is the symbol in the Beis Hamikdash of the Messianic light. Because that's really what it is. The menorah is the lamp in the Beis Hamikdash is the symbol of the Messianic light. So your descendant, and it came out, it was Matisio, Right? He's a coin girl, he's a coin, and so on. And that he will light menorah. And that is the light of Hanukkah. So God was telling Arna Koin uh, that there will be an event in the future in which your descendants will cause the light to be lit. And that is the holiday of Hanukkah. You see. Uh, so here's where we find a remez, an allusion to Hanukkah in the Torah. Where that's what God is saying to Aaron. And therefore Aaron's, his spirit was revived. You see? And that will restore what Aaron was feeling so terrible about. <clears throat> you see? So this is what it says in the Torah and what the Ramban says. Now we have to ask ourselves, wait a minute. You see? I mean, we understand why Aaron was so devastated because the Jews, right, had not accepted, right, the, Ori, the, uh, the Orishan, the first light, by building the golden calf, you see. But the truth is it's much deeper than that <clears throat> because what, has, what happened was if the Jews had not done the sin of the golden calf, right, then Moshe Abedin would have been Mashiach ben Yosef. He would have been the real Messiah. Because that's really what he was. But he was only a candidate. Had they not done the golden calf, 
then he would have been the Mashiach ben Yosef, literally, right? And, the, and therefore he would have come, and that would have ushered in the Messianic era, you see. So Aaron realized that by his building, right, the golden calf, he destroyed the opportunity of his brother to be Mashiach ben Yosef, right? He destroyed the opportunity of the Mashiach ben Yosef to come. And that would have been the Gula. That's why he had such a tremendous Chalisha. Not only because he caused Israel to sin, right? And he caused Israel to, in a certain sense, reject the concept of the Orishan, the Messianic light. But it would have been the Messianic era, you see. Because that's really what God wanted. Moshe Rabbeinu should be the Mashiach ben Yosef. But in order for that to happen... The Jews had to accept all three aspects of the law. The written Torah, Torah Shabbat Sav, the oral Torah, the Torah Shabbat Peh, right? <clears throat> and the Orishan, that first light. So the eagle, the golden calf, destroyed the opportunity for the Jews to do that. <clears throat> and therefore, of course, Moshe Rabbeinu was not Mashiach, right? Obviously, because he couldn't be anymore. And therefore, the Jews lost out. And who was the cause of this, or one of the causes? Aaron. Aaron HaKoyen. That's why Aaron had such a tremendous, what's called Chalisha, such a tremendous, uh, you know, broken-hearted spirit, you see, because of that fact of what he did. Uh, so when God told them, so this gives us a much greater depth. So when God told them that in the future, <clears throat> you know, I have forgiven you, and that one of your descendants will come and <clears throat> two things will restore the reception of the, of the Jewish people to the Orishim. You see, I'm going to create an event. Oh, well, the essential idea of the event is the Orishim, to accept or reject. And the Jews will accept, thereby ushering in the Messianic era. So therefore Aaron, of course, had tremendous revival of spirit. Now, what event is this? You see? So the Ramban says, that's Hanukkah. So now we have the perfect place where the Torah alludes to what Hanukkah really, really is. Uh, so we now know that there has to be an event where the Jews can re-accept the messianic light, which is the opnimi, which is the concept that God is the source of all existence, and everything is an emanation from God. Uh, so there's going to be an event in the future where the Jews have to accept, you see, these ideas. And that will undo the failure, what's called the kilko, the damage, that they did not, that they did by Matan Torah, by the giving of the Torah, where they did not accept it because of the sin of the golden calf. So now we really have a tremendous ability now to try to figure out Hanukkah. How? How does Hanukkah, by fighting the Greeks, right, how does that restore the spiritual necessity of receiving the Torah even the messianic light, and possibly ushering in a messianic era. 
You see? But at least we have the clue. So what does God do? For that to, uh, to understand how the event of Hanukkah is the answer uh, to that damage that the Jews did at the golden calf. In the beginning, it says, in the beginning of Bracious, it says that God created the heavens and the earth, right? And the earth was unformed and void, and there was darkness on the face of the deep. right? And the earth was unformed and void. And there was darkness on the face of the deep. <clears throat> right? That's what it says. So the Midrash says <clears throat> that <clears throat> these four terms, Toyu, unformed, Voyu is void, darkness, and then Tohoim, which means the deep ocean, the deep abyss, they really refer to the four kingdoms, you see, four kingdoms that will subjugate the Jewish people to be slaves. That's what they really refer to. Who are they? The first one is Babylon. That's Toyu. Voyu, that's unformed. Voyu, it refers to Persia. Chushech, darkness, refers to Greece. And Tohoim refers to Rome. These refer to the four kingdoms that will subjugate the Jews. This is the Golas that the Jews have to have gone through. <clears throat> you see. <clears throat> now what is very strange here is this. You know, Greece really is the one that introduced modernization. Historians consider Greece and Alexander as the one who initiated the whole concept of the modern world. Because if you think about it, who was Greece? I mean, Greece had philosophy, right? The Pythagoras, the Parmenides, Socrates, Aristotle. These are the great philosophers that changed mankind's simple, idolatrous, and paganistic views, right? Not only that, they're also the origin of science, you see, they're the, they're the origin of modern thinking. They ushered in the modern era. You see, that's Greece. So therefore, what is strange is that which term in the Torah refers to Greece? And the answer is, Choshech, darkness. That's incredible, you see. Darkness refers to Greece? How could that be? Greece is the enlightened nation that started the whole world, right, uh, in modern thinking, right? I mean, you think about it, Greece was into literature, beautiful architecture, right? Uh, there were so many things, uh, sports, whatever, uh, and thinking, philosophy, and science, culture, and so on. Greece is the one that did it. In fact, it wasn't Rome, it was Greece. Rome merely took it from Greece, so how in the world can the Torah call Greece darkness? That's rather strange. Greece can't be darkness. It was brought tremendous enlightenment to the world. It took the world out of the primitives and it brought them into a world which is modern, modern thinking and so on. Uh, and the answer to that is very interesting because there's a concept called the Orishan. 
and let there be light. And God said, let there be light, ye or, and by he or, and there was light. We know that light. What was that light? Uh, that light wasn't light waves. It was the perception, right, uh, that everything emanates from God. That was the messianic light. The ability to see. It's almost like having a microscope, electron microscope, right, and the James Webb Space Telescope to see both ends, the macro world and the micro world. All right, that's what it really was. In a certain sense, uh, that is like the messianic light, except the messianic light uh, gives us a view not only of the physical universe, right, but the whole spiritual universe, all the spiritual Kabbalistic worlds, right, of uh, what's called Odom Kadmain, Atzilas, Bria, Yitzira, Nasiya. In any case, all the spiritual domains, realities, that's really what the Or Mashiach is, you see. So the amazing thing, so that's what the Or is in the Torah. So if that's what the Or is, so when it says, and there was darkness on the face of the deep, that means there was darkness, which is the exact opposite of what? Of the Messianic light. You see? So that Cheshik also was tremendous wisdom. Right? Uh, but the reason why it's called darkness is because the Messianic wisdom says that God is the source of everything. Whereas the darkness of Greece, right, does say that the universe has a cause, but that cause is physical. You see, it's not spiritual. It's not God. It's physical. That's what science is. And philosophy, you see, all of this is that there's a physical universe and truth can be ascertained by the mind of man, with logic and philosophy and so on, you see. Uh, so therefore, Choshech doesn't refer to darkness per se. It refers to the opposite of the messianic light. So just like, because that's the all that God said let that be. So just like the messianic light is not about light waves, it's about the perception that God is the source of existence, of everything, you see. <clears throat> Therefore, darkness is that the physical world is the source of everything. And the truth is that's exactly what Greece held. That everything is physical. Everything is what? Is science. And its root, the root of science, the root of all phenomenon, or rather phenomena, is the physical world. That's what a scientist believes, and so on. <clears throat> so therefore, the Torah calls Greece chishich, as opposed to the, the or, it's darkness, which is the exact opposite of the messianic light. So what does God do, which is really fascinating? <clears throat> he has Alexander, right, conquer the entire world, which is astounding. I'm a guy 30 years old, should be the greatest conqueror almost of all civilization, you see, <clears throat> And then at 30, and his, by the way, his teacher was Aristotle. Aristotle was a teacher of Alexander, you see. Uh, so Alexander had this in tremendous enlightenment, physical enlightenment, enlightenment, called Hellenism, which is the Greek understanding of how the world operates. You see, that the ultimate cause of everything is physical, not spiritual at all. Uh, so he has Alexander conquer the entire world. God allowed him to do that. 
So therefore, he could conquer also, so he dies, now that he did his job, right? <clears throat> so his four generals take over, and this Antiochus, Epiphanes, he takes over the Middle East, right? And he introduces Hellenism. And Hellenism is the belief that the, world, the center of the world is physical. Just what people believe today, that everything is science and technology. It has nothing to do with God or spirituality. And that's basically what Hellenism is. It's an earth-centered world. So he has that take over the land of Israel. And all of a sudden the Jews are subjected to this incredibly conflicting view of their religion. Because Judaism preaches that what? That the essence of the world is not physical, it's spiritual. And the essence of the spiritual world is God, where everything emanates from God. It's a complete diametric, diametrically opposite view of Hellenism or Greek thought. Why? <clears throat> because now the Jews can be tested. Will they believe in what the Greeks say, that everything has to do with the physical reality, all causes are physical, scientific, and so on? Or will they reject the Greek way of thinking and say, no, it may look physical, right? The physical universe is a cloak for what's really going on, but really it's spiritual. And that is the Orishan. That is the belief of the Messianic light, you see? The enlightenment of the Torah. Therefore, the Jews are thrust between two ideologies. But it's interesting that the ideologies that they are thrust into is really, do you believe in the Orishan, the Messianic light, whatever that says, right? The Kani Re'im, the beauty of the spiritual universe, or do you believe in Greek enlightenment, that the world is really has internal structure, which is what the Greeks held, right? That there are ultimate causes, but they're all physical. This is the perfect setup. Will the Jews reject the enlightenment, the concepts, the wisdom of the Greeks, or will reject it and accept their own, or will they fall prey to the Greek wisdom and believe, begin to believe Hellenism, what the Greeks believe. Uh, this, then, is the task of the Jews, which replicates, right, what happened at Mount Harsinai, right, Mount Terra, see? So at that time, they rejected or they failed to understand the true concept of the Messianic light because they built the eagle. And now they're back to the same test, you see? Therefore, we begin to see that this, where God pit the Greek philosophy and science and the wisdom and so on, right? He did that so the Jews should be tested. And that was their challenge. What are they going to choose? Because the Rebbe needed a spiritual necessity because of the damage that they did by the Cheto Ego. You see? <clears throat> what did the Jews do? Of course, ultimately... They rejected the Greek view. What does that mean? 
they said, no, the world is run, the cause of the world, the ultimate cause, is spiritual, not physical. So in that sense, they did a, they brought a tremendous tikkun. What's the tikkun, right? By accepting the messianic ideas that the world is spiritual in nature, and that is the ultimate cause. That's what they did. So we can now see how the whole event of Hanukkah perfectly satisfies the tikkun to restore, to repair the damage they did by the Chet Now, <clears throat> at that time, the Jews didn't realize what the spiritual significance of what they did was. Okay, we won the war, which was incredible, right? <clears throat> we rejected the Greek Greek ideology, Greek wisdom, right, and so on. And we reasserted our own. Okay, fabulous. But they didn't realize that what they had done is restore the Kabbalah, the reception of the Torah, you see, back is which is what they really should have done at the sin of the golden calf. They didn't know that they had rectified a spiritual damage that was done then. Uh, so what did the Rebbe Hashem do? Because everything is orchestrated by God. Um, you see, he had them find a vial, right? Only one. That would last only one day, you see? And they lit that, and it lit for eight days. What was the menorah, if you recall? The menorah is that device in the Beis Hamikdash that testifies to the Orishim, you see, to the concealed light, the messianic light. It's really what it is. So that burnt for eight days, you see. <clears throat> How? Because they had to get new oil, so it would take eight days to get new oil from the Galil. But the fact that the miracle happened in the Menorah is like a telegram that God sent the Jewish people, that he caused a miracle to happen in the very symbol or device of the messianic light, which is the Orishan, right? The messianic light. The miracle happened in the menorah itself, which is the messianic light, you see, of the Beis Amigdash. So the Jews instantly recognized from the miracle of the menorah what they had done spiritually <clears throat> there's a very important idea because the miracle of the menorah really has nothing to do with the war itself that's very important to understand and the, the interesting thing about us is that we celebrate the menorah and we don't really celebrate the war which was an open miracle and the answer is now you understand because even though the miracle of the war was incredible, the fact that the Jews, 10,000 Jews, won against over 120,000 battle-hardened Greek soldiers, incredible miracle. But the real miracle was the menorah. Why? Because that is the reason for the entire test, that they should be tested about whose ideology are you going to accept? You see? So it comes out that the menorah is really the spiritual accomplishment of what the Jews did 
in Hanukkah. So that's what we do, you see. We don't really celebrate the war, but we do celebrate the Menorah, which is the light of the Orishim, because that is the exact spiritual accomplishment that the Jews accomplished at that time. See, that answers the question. Because when you think about it, and by the way, the Menorah didn't happen until after the war, you see. Because it's only after they wanted to rededicate the temple to Beis Hamikdash that the whole miracle of the Menorah happened. But like I point out, it's not really intrinsically tied to the Ness of Hanukkah. Because the Ness of Hanukkah really is the war, is the victory of the war, which was incredible, against the Greek army. But now we understand why we celebrate with that, you see. Because that is the whole reason why God set up the Jews to have that challenge. And therefore we do the menorah, you see. And the menorah, therefore, has those eight days, you see. Which is very, very interesting. Now, what's also interesting is this. Imagine if the Jews had walked over to a Greek general and said to him, by the way, you know, we have 10,000 soldiers. You got over 120,000 soldiers. You think we, we could win? And he would look at you and say, what, are you crazy? Of course not. Because wars are done, right, based on physical laws, right? And we are the many and you are the few, right? And not only that, we already experienced, right, warlike. And you, you're not, you know, <clears throat> So of course we're going to win. But the Jews held what? That the one who causes wars and the one who gives victory is God, which is the Orishan, which is the messianic light. Uh, You see? So if the world was run physically, you would be right. We would lose. But since the the world is run spiritually and God does everything, therefore of course we can win. So in the merit that they rejected Greek wisdom, right? God said, you're right. I'm the one who creates victory. And he gave them the victory. You see? It's called me the connected meter, measure for measure. You believe that I'm the cause of everything. Guess what? You will win the war, even though a general would have said, you won't win the war. You see? A second thing. Imagine if uh, 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 they come over to some kind of scientist, and say, you know, we only have one day's worth of oil. Because one day's worth of oil is combustible, and that's it. Can't last more than one day. Do you think it could possibly last eight days until we get new oil? So what would that scientist have said? He says, of course not. One day's worth of oil can only burn one day. Can't burn for eight. And he would be right if the world was physical. Because the physical world follows physical laws, you see. But the Jews held, and they fought, and they were mostly nefesh, sacrificed for this belief, the belief of the messianic light, that all things are caused by God. It has nothing to do with nature. Nature is nothing more than a guise, a costume for what God does. Therefore, if God wants, he can have the oil burn for eight days. Because that is our belief. And God said, well, because you believe that, 
that the spiritual universe is what controls the physical, and I control the spiritual. <clears throat> Therefore, mida keneged mida, measure for measure, guess what? The oil will burn for eight days. You see? So again, that's measure for measure. So there are two great miracles, the war and the lamp. And we can have an understanding of this. You see, how? Because the oil burnt for eight days. Now this world will only last 6,000 years. And then the seventh day <clears throat> is where the world is renewed, right? But, <clears throat> but it's, not the, it's not the light of the future world, which is the real or Rishon, you see. <clears throat> and the future world, Oilam Habor, begins in the 8,000th year, right? Therefore, the candles of the menorah are eight to indicate that that menorah really is all about the light, the ultimate wisdom, right, and perception of the future world. And therefore, it has eight days of burning, you see, which is a really a very important idea. <clears throat> also, what's interesting is there's the base Yosef that says, wait a minute. The miracle wasn't for eight days. It was only for seven. Why? Because one day, anyway, it could burn without a miracle. So therefore, the miracle is only for seven days. One day when it could have burned by itself. And seven, which is the miracle. So he asks the famous question, why do we celebrate eight days when it's really only seven? Because the miracle of the menorah is really only seven days. Because one day, anyway, it could burn by itself physically. And now we understand, because the first day is really a light for the war itself, <clears throat> you see, which is a miracle, right? The fact that 10,000 Jews, right, won over, over 120,000 battle-hardened soldiers is a miracle. So that first light, therefore, represents the miracle of the war, you see. And the other seven they represent the miracle of the ness of Hanukkah itself. So that pro, pro, uh, presents really a, a very interesting answer <coughs> to the question of the, uh, the uh, uh, Beis Yosef. In any case, so we now understand something very important. Those Hanukkah lights, they are, represent the Messianic light. That's really what they represent. And that's why it says, you know, that uh, you're supposed to look at them, certainly for a half hour, while they burn. Because they represent the uh, messianic light, you see. <clears throat> now you're going to ask me, wait a minute. If the Jews had rectified, right, the sin of the golden calf, so how come the Mashiach didn't come? And the very interesting answer is that really the Mashiach should have come, right? Because they had rectified the last damage, which is that they rejected the Orishan by the sin of the golden calf. So the truth is, it should have come. But there was a mistake. And this leads us to understand something. <clears throat> you see, the Jews rectified but the problem was this, the Hashmanoim are Kohanim. You see, 
So it's one thing if they ruled while there's a war. But once the war was over and they rededicated the Beis Amigdash, then they should have left the rulership, the throne. And they should have given it to the house of David, Beis David, you see, because the Mashiach comes from Yehuda or from David HaMelech. But they didn't, you see. And since the Jews would have to bring the Mashiach, right, through merit, they failed to do it. And I believe that once they failed, then the Messianic opportunity was lost. And therefore I believe that during the time right after, which was in approximately 165 C, uh, BCE, before the Common Era, that's when Hanukkah happened. About, I don't know, about let's say about uh, 40 years after Rome became the undisputed ruler because they fought Carthage in what's called the Punic Wars. They had three wars and they beat them all. They destroyed Carthage. Uh, Rome that was destined to destroy the base of Migdash. Why? Because the Jews gave up. They lost the opportunity of the Mashiach to come in Hanukkah. In fact, we know there's no such thing as a Mashiach to Hanukkah. You ever notice? Every Jewish holiday has a Gemara that talks about it and talks about the laws. But there's no such thing as Mashiach to Hanukkah. Why? So the Chazal tell us that Rebbe, the one who wrote the Mishnayis, never wrote a Mishnah to Hanukkah. Why? Because he was very angry at the Chashmenoim. Because Rebbe was from the house of David HaMelech. And he realized that had they gotten off the throne and given it to base David, then the Mashiach could have come. So therefore he decided that because the Chashmenoim failed, they wouldn't give it up right, for whatever reason. Therefore, I will not write a Masech de Hanukkah to honor them. It's amazing. That's why. Because it could have been that the Mashiach would have come. You see. <clears throat> now, what's also, which is uh, interesting, is that, uh, you know, we play with dreidels, and there are four letters, Nun Gimel Heishin, which stands for Nes Godel HaYasham. <coughs> a great miracle happened there. And the gematria of that is 358, which is equal to the gematria of Mashiach, right? So that's really what Hanukkah was, to rectify the sin that stopped Moshe Rabbeinu from being Mashiach, you see. And therefore, the Nun Gimel Heishin equals Mashiach 358 in numerical value. Which is interesting, because somebody once walked over to me and said, wait a minute, in Israel we don't say Nes Godel HaYashom, Nun Gimel HaShin, we say Nun Gimel HaPay, Nes Godel HaYapo, a great miracle happened here, which is not Gematria Mashiach, it's only Gematria 138. So what do you have to say about that? So the Barsham gave me instantly wisdom, you know, and I said, well, 138 is Gematria, Tzemach, offshoot, you see? And we pray that in Shmon Esrei, Es Semach David. Who's the offshoot of David? Sheikh ben Yosef, that's what the Ari says. So therefore, 138 is Gematria Tzemach, which is the Gematria 
of nun gimel hey pay. Neskodl hoya po. Isn't that interesting? So either way, it equals a messianic figure. <clears throat> so we now understand what the, near, the, the nearest are, you see, and that they were there, the Rabbashim is sort of like a telegram to Klai Yisrael, what you did. And that's why Hanukkah became so great, that the Chazal say, you know, we will observe it until the end of time, you see. And that's really what God promised Aaron Akayim, that his descendant, Matasyob ben Yoichlin Kohen Godel, that he would initiate, right, a messianic, opportunity. So even though it didn't come, right, because the Hashemunoyim refused to get off the throne, but still it rectified in many ways the sin of the golden calf. Uh, so therefore we are now therefore commanded to continue to celebrate the rites, which means that we continue to accept the messianic light, which means the Orishan, the first light, or the Or Hagonas, which is the hidden light, and the Or Mashiach, you see. <clears throat> so certainly, let us hope that this Hanukkah, Kislev, is a messianic month, because it represents that Kaisal accepted the whole concept, that the whole structure of creation, which is the Kani Re'im, the horns of the Re'im of the Mashiach Ben Yosef, what it really is, that God is the center, He's the front and center of everything, and that everything is orchestrated by God. We also understand that the whole concept, the event of Hanukkah, was nothing more than a setup that would rectify a spiritual necessity. You see, unfortunately, it didn't manifest in the messianic opportunity, but it will someday, uh, you see which is really very, very, very important, you know. So let's remember when we light the menorah, we're really looking at the symbol of the Orishan, the symbol of the messianic light. Any questions? Okay, so now fast forward to today. When yes. When you had you connected to Hanukkah and Mashiach for our days. <coughs> Well, let me tell you something which I find to be very, very interesting. It's almost like for the first time, you know, when you think about that, there are three countries that are in danger of collapsing at the same time or within short order of each other. And there are three countries which occupy a major position in the history of the world. First of all, China. There are major demonstrations going on all over China. And they are saying not only to stop the COVID restrictions, but they want the, the Communist Party to step down. They want to end it. Now, we don't know how far that's going to go. But there's no question that if the Rebbe wants, he can use that, just like by the Arab Spring in Tunisia in 2011, you see. He used that to overthrow so many different Arab countries by one incident, you see. So he could actually use China, this demonstration, this revolution, to overthrow the whole Communist Party. Now, wouldn't that be an incredible miracle? The second country that is in tremendous danger of collapse 
is Iran. Because they killed, killed that woman, you know, uh, the morality police killed the woman, right? Because she wasn't wearing the right clothing, whatever, and so on, you know? And there are demonstrations all over Iran. And it's against the mullahs. I heard they even invaded the original Khomeini, you know, uh, his uh, hometown. And they're saying death to Khomeini and so on. Uh, so that can easily, and the demonstrations are all over Iran. So wouldn't it be incredible if the Rabbanisham took out Iran? What an incredible toiva that would be for the world, and certainly for Eretz Israel. Because Iran is one of the few countries can, that can truly threaten existentially the land of Israel. So wouldn't that be incredible if the Rabbanisham took them out, just like he took out all the Arab Spring nations, and he saved the Jews from going to war against all of them. So imagine what that would be, that he would save the Israel from having to go to war with Iran, where internally they would overthrow the whole theocracy, right, of the mullahs. That would be incredible, wouldn't it? So that's a second country in danger of collapse. <clears throat> you see, both of which are incredibly evil. And then we have the third country, which is incredibly evil. Who's that? That's America. Remember, we are now engaged in a civil war. Which civil war? But it's not physical. It's spiritual. It is the evil of Asav, which is Biden and the Democratic Party, the liberals, the progressives, and so on, right? And they are the evil of Asav, And they are now engaged in a war, right, to destroy America, the morality, the ethics, so many things, the crime, the southern border, the inflation, they're destroying America. That is the evil of Esau, and they are at war with the good part of Esau, the Tevshib Esau, which is represented by Trump and those people who want him or to, 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 be, the, to be the president. And Biden is now under a major scandal where it now is proven that the FBI, the DOJ, the Department of Justice, right, and even the Intelligence Bureau, CIA, whatever, that they all colluded, right, to, to conceal the terrible incriminating evidence of Hunter Biden and the laptop, you see, and they knew about it, and they told, they contacted Twitter on a weekly basis not to reveal the laptop of Hunter Biden, you see? And, they, and this guy, Elon Musk, who owns Twitter, has all the evidence. He's got all the emails, everything. So this is now is a major scandal that can easily overthrow Biden, you see. And not only that, but the Republicans. The Republicans had Rachmanis on America, and he allowed the Republicans to have the House. And the House can stop everything that Biden's doing, because they control the purse, the money. But what's interesting is they also are going to bring up tremendous amount of investigations. They're going to investigate January 6th, which is an absolute sham. Incredible, right? They're going to investigate the FBI, the DOJ, everybody, and what happened with Trump and the election. But we now understand that Trump was right, that the election was rigged 
So even if we want to we want to discount the fact that it was rigged in terms of the voting machines, but this is clearly being rigged because they forced Twitter and Facebook not to reveal the laptop of Hunter Biden. You see, and that very possibly would have knocked out Biden from being president. That's called a rigged election. They failed to disclose that to the American people, which is terrible. And they're going to investigate Biden, and they have proof that Biden took $31 million as a bribery from China. Well, that's called treason, because you're consorting with the enemy of America. And, and he's completely sold out to China, <clears throat> obviously. That's criminal. That's not just what he called, uh, uh, you know, just an uh, impeachment process. We are talking about jail time. This is criminality. This is treason. <clears throat> All of this is about to start January 3rd, you see, which is a major blow to the Democratic Party, to Biden, to the evil of Asov. So it would be fascinating. Is the Rabernishlam doing this? Is he going to take out China, the evil of China, you see, of the, of the Communist Party? Is he going to take out Iran, right, to spare Israel the cost and the terrible, uh, you know, uh, concept of going to war with Iran? And is he going to take out the evil of Esau uh, and the subtleness behind all of it? Because the Sutton is dying. He's had, had to give back, as I once pointed out, all the sparks of holiness. So we are watching three things going on simultaneous, which is fascinating. You know, it would be incredible if in one fell swoop, the Rabbanisham took out all three. That would be truly messianic. Because the enormous amount of evil would have been removed from the world. That truly will usher in the Beis Hamikdash, the end of the exile, the, the building of the Beis Hamikdash, right, and the Messianic Sheikh Ben Yosef. Yes. So while we're praying at the candles for the first thirty minutes, should yes. we be praying that he that Hashem <clears throat> brings down those three? Names? Yes, definitely. China, Iran, and America. Right, and it's astounding. All three are going through major upheavals. Now, we don't know where it's going to end, but we never know. Look, that's how the Arab Spring started, where some guy burnt himself to death in Tunisia, if you, re if you recall that event. That one event sparked the whole revolution in the Arabian countries. So it can easily spark a revolution in all three. That would be an unbelievable miracle. And boy, would that begin the beginning of a messianic era. Definitely. I wanted to ask you, um, what do you, because uh, tonight is the 19th of Kislev. Right. And there's, a, there's a whole thing about that it's a very special day. Do you know anything about it? Could you expand on it? I, I think you test Kislev is uh, Lubavitch. If I remember correctly, that's when the Alter Rebbe if I remember correctly, got out of prison. <clears throat> I may be wrong, but I think that's what it was. So they hold that to be a very special day. You know, I think you test Kislev, yes. You know? 
Okay, next, next week is yes. So because Hanukkah is is uh, let's say the, it's really the holiday of the Messianic light. Yes, we, it's really a Messianic holiday. It's really what it is. Should, should we start like if it is the time of the Mashiach? We should start seeing things come up once, I mean, the beginning of the holiday and once it, it's ushered and then done with, that, like that light is brought into the world, that it should form into something? Yes. It can very well be that this month can start something significant. You see, well, right, like I say, right now what's happening with Biden, it's, it's a national scandal. Because uh, this guy, Elon Musk, who owns Twitter, has all the proof, has all the documents, you see, that there's incredible corruption in the government, all in the service of Biden, you see. And certainly on January 3rd, you see, uh, is the whole concept of uh, the investigation by the House. And that's really going to fire up America. Yeah, we may be watching a complete upheaval in America. They don't even realize what's about to happen, but that's very, very possible. Yeah, let's hope. Yes, you can hold on to hope. Right. right. You know? Thank you, Rabbi. Are we on for next week? Uh, Yeah, why not? I think Rachel has a question. Rachel, you have a question? Yeah, go ahead. I just wanted to ask you, because you were saying about the Messianic light, the Or Harishon, right. that it, right. it's from the menorah. Is is that only? Is it in any other places? Is what in any other places? The Or Harishon, the Messianic light, it's only in the menorah? Where is it? Well, the menorah is a symbol. In the Beis Amikdash, they lit the menorah. And that is a symbol of the Orishan. So the okay, miracle so happened real, in a very it, symbol. But when we stare see. at it, it's not actually that we're looking. We are. We're looking at this tremendous holiness that comes out of the light. Right, so can we, we only get to see it once a year, or is it? are there any other places that we no, get to we get, see it? We, well, we get to see it once a year. Okay. You see. 